Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's show guest is Willem Middlecoop. Willem is the founder of the Commodity Discovery Fund and is a best-selling author. He became a well-known personality through his work as a stock market commentator for the Dutch business television channel, RTLZ. Middlecoop predicted the onset of the credit crisis in his book, If the Dollar Fails, in 2007. Subsequent publications were The Permanent Oil Crisis in 2008, Surviving the Credit Crisis in 2009, Gold and the Secret of Money in 2012, and perhaps his best-known book, The Big Reset, in 2013. Please enjoy my conversation with Willem. Hi, Willem. Thank you for your time, and we're extremely happy to have you on board. Well, thank you for the invitation. Great to be here. So for the audience that's tuning in, maybe you could give us a little quick introduction of who you are and um, you know, what you do for a living. Yeah. I'm the founder of the Commodity Discovery Fund, which is a resource fund based in the Netherlands. And we are specialized in um, investing in um, the smaller resource companies working on new discoveries. Uh, I started the fund in 2008, um, but besides that, I'm also an author of books. I just published the Tesla Revolution, which is also out in Chinese. But I'm most well-known, I think, abroad about uh, my previous book, which is called The Big Reset, on the change into the monetary system and the war on gold. Um, and I've been a journalist for the most, um, uh, for the best part of my life. But I quit journalism in uh, 2008, so I'm a full-time uh, investor, fund manager, and author now. So I've been, I've been, uh, I've actually been following you for a while now, and I read your book uh, a number of years ago, actually. And at the time, uh, it was, it was well, it still is very prolific, but at the time, it was uh, quite revolutionary because I think not a lot of people had sort of heard of this this notion of a, even a potential reset and you know mainstream media never really talks about things like the sdr and that sort of thing so um but the big reset was uh was your book um maybe as just a i don't know how how concise you can be but if you could give a uh, a a background for the audience because i think that it's very important that people uh understand exactly what's going on yeah um that, that's it Indeed, the most important uh, um, point to make. Um, I've been investing for the most part of my life. I was in real estate in Amsterdam in the 90s. Um, I studied the internet bubble at the late uh, 90s. Um, I started to study economic cycles uh, around 2000 and started to work on my first book, which was only published in, in Holland. Um, in, um, it was published in 2007, and I was working for Dutch National TV at that time as a market commentator. And um, I, I, I've been warning um, since the publication of my first book that uh, the current monetary system with the US dollar as anchor is on the verge of 
collapse. Um, so we are nearing the end game of the current financial system. This was my warning in 2007, and everybody was laughing about my thesis. But then after the collapse of Lehman Brothers within 12 months, um, I became known in Holland as the guy who predicted the credit crisis. And then I started to do some more research and to do some more writing. And I, I wrote a few other books in Dutch explaining that the current crisis within the international monetary system uh, would lead towards the, um, the end phase, uh, the, the end game um, for the current dollar system, and that China was a major factor in this um, development. And um, people always ask me, because I've, I've done quite a bit of presentations on this topic, and people always ask me, what will be the solution? And I always um, told the audience, this was around 2009, 2010, 2011, well, I'm glad I know what the problem is. I don't have a solution. But the more I studied this topic, the more um, I learned about uh, work being done by central bankers, coordinated by the IMF, to uh, study um, how we could use... Uh, the SDR, the special drawing rights, um, which could be called uh, IMF money. Uh, the SDRs were developed in the 1960s because um, uh, the IMF was afraid about a dollar crisis, which also occurred in the early 70s after Nixon closed the gold window and took the um, dollar of, of, of the gold standard. So IMF has always been working on a plan B so um, the dollar could be dropped um, as the anchor of the financial system and the SDR could be used. Well, this old idea from the late 60s um, was, um, was brought on the table again after the collapse of, of Lehman Brothers and, and the large financial crisis we had. So uh, in the big reset, which was published in 2013, uh, I explain, I lay out the thesis that uh, central bankers are planning to upgrade the SDR, uh, which is a currency basket, um, uh, a currency basket held by the IMF, and um, to be able to use the SDR as the next world currency, as the new anchor for world's financial system. Uh, the, first, the Chinese renminbi had to be added to this currency basket. It's a little technical, but the SDR... Um, this currency basket always contained uh, four currencies, the dollar, the pound, the yen, and the euro. And now, two years ago, the renminbi is added as a fifth currency. And this makes the SDR a uh, yeah, wonderful world currency, uh, which we could use for the next phase of the international monetary system. And in the big reset, I also explained that we've seen monetary resets in the past. This is not a new concept. In 1944, we had the Bretton Woods Conference, in which um, the dollar, in, in which the dollar started to be the real anchor for the international monetary system, because in the early 20th century, of course, we had the pound sterling, which was the the, the, the world currency, world reserve currency. Well, this is in short the thesis of the big reset. Right. So I think um, it's important that uh, the people listening in know that, like you said, 
This is not a new concept. Um, you know, 1944, I believe, was Bretton Woods, the end of the Second World War, right? Yeah. And at that time, uh, I believe it was actually one of the options at that time was uh, some another form of uh, global monetary currency, but they, they actually ended up using the dollar. And then for the last 70 years, like you said, it's been dollar dominance and of course, uh, because right now Western mainstream media is, is very tightly controlled by the, by the U.S., yeah. of course, they're not going to be talking much about uh, losing their, their do- dollar dominance. So that sort of makes sense. It all kind of makes sense. Yeah, that, that's a perfect, that's a perfect um, uh, way to describe the current situation. But since China became much, much more um, um, important within the world economy, especially after the start of the uh, financial crisis in 2008. Uh, China um, has um, been very vocal about their demand that the world international system has to be changed. And China has put an enormous pressure on the U.S. and the IMF to have the renminbi added to the SDR and to have a larger seat at the table. Uh, uh, where the decisions are being made about the next phase for the uh, world's um, monetary system, right? So, so this is um, this is actually very uh, pertinent, and basically everyone is interested in what's going on in Asia, and that's obviously driven by China, world's second largest economy, soon to be first, I believe, yeah. and you know the China, You cannot ignore what's going on in China, and I think people are slowly starting to realize. That look, we have to we have to recognize that China is on the rise now. Despite China having its own set of growing pains, if you will, China is uh, you know they've they've been around for a lot longer than the U.S. has, <laughs> and they're certainly not going anywhere. So the fact that I believe that when the renminbi was added to the SDR basket that. That was uh, that was also symbolic of the fact that look, you know, China is here to stay, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, and they're going to we're going to have to learn how to play nice with China. Yeah. So um, that all said, what what do you think about the current situation in China? I know that you you do a lot of work in China. You you traveled there, I, I imagine, quite frequently, and you've studied China for a long time. Um, you know, what's your, what's your outlook right now? There's a lot of, you know, again, mainstream media mm-hmm. is the, is the one, are the ones that are out there saying China has a huge yeah. debt crisis. China's on the verge of collapse. The rem, the renminbi is their con- currency manipulators, this, that, and the other. So what's really going on, Willem? Um, I think the Chinese leadership has, um, understands quite well how the international, um, economic system and international financial system is organized. So the Chinese have really studied the dollar system well. And every time I come to China uh, to visit and to talk about um, these subjects, I always have, I always meet a great number of people who understand these topics very well. Well, if I travel to London or, or New York or Canada, it's always very hard for me to find people um, to, who really understand the situation. So mm. the Chinese are really on top of this. And you also can see this in the mainstream press. And you're right, 
the North American mainstream press is not openly talking about these subjects because they don't uh, want to um, highlight the problems of the current uh, dollar system, while the Chinese mainstream press is all over the SDR concept and all over uh, the current dollar crisis. And there's always there's a great example I always use. Here in the Netherlands, I'm all, almost boycotted by uh, the Financiële Dagblad, which is the main financial newspaper. Um, wow. the, the, the Financial Times in, in, in Hong Kong, they asked me to write a, uh, an, a piece of 2,000 words on, on this topic. So there's, there's a huge change uh, in the way this topic is being discussed um, it's being openly discussed in the East and it's not openly being discussed in the West. And part of my book is also on the war on gold. Uh, gold still plays a vital, uh, it's a small role, but still a vital role. Um, and if we study the uh, financial reserves by central banks, one could um, clearly see that gold is still a main part of the financial reserves. But this is also not talked about in the West, but in the East, it's it's quite um, it, it's quite a hot topic, and uh, I think every investor in the East understands why Russia and China are building their gold reserves. So hmm. um, I, I invest a lot into precious metals and precious metals-related companies. So this has been a topic of my study since uh, the nineties. Now, is there, so for the listeners or audience listening in, I know this, we're, we're getting a little bit technical with the SDR if you're not familiar with it. Um, you know, me being in Hong Kong, obviously, uh, last, end of last September, I believe, was when the IMF announced the renminbi's inclusion. And uh, so I got a little bit more of the news flow, fortunately. I know that in the West, there was hardly anything. They didn't mention it at all. Uh, but... There's a there's some theories out there floating around that's that says that gold might also be potentially added to the SDR basket. What are your views on that? Yeah, in, in my book, um, I publish uh, parts of some studies being done by the IMF and some other groups, some London-based think tanks, in which um, they talk about um, the possibility to add gold as a sixth currency to the SDR. Um, uh, currency basket so gold could be added uh, quite easily and I know that uh, one of those studies um, which was um, uh, done uh, by a London based think tank um, was done on request of China because China wanted to study the effects of adding gold to the currency basket as the our currency basket, and this clearly shows that China thinks that it might be a good idea to add gold to the um, next phase of the international monetary system, while gold is still seen as a uh, anti-dollar um, currency in the West. So um, the US and the IMF are not in favor to add gold, but China is clearly in favor to add gold to the system. And I think this also explains why the West is uh, fighting gold and selling gold and su suppressing gold, while the central banks in the East are buying gold hand over fist. 
So it's very interesting how, what what is playing on in the back scenes, and, th- and I think that for the audience listening, they, you actually it's worth doing a little bit of research. It's worth picking up Willem's book, uh, The Big Reset, and reading it because it, it's actually very articulate, and it was very eye opening for me because I'd never heard of any of these concepts before uh, that were that were actually all out there. If you just know 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 where to look for it, right, like the IMF website and this yeah. sort of thing. But I would like to add that if people are looking for a copy of The Big Reset, you can find it on Amazon, but um, be careful yes. you buy the latest edition because I published a revised edition in 2015, and um, this has an extra ch- chapter. So when people are looking for oh. the book, buy the revised edition. Excellent. I will buy that myself. <laughs> I will send you one. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Right. So, so the renminbi, uh, you know, one of the uh, the IMF stipulations was that, uh, and I know that because it came up, uh, I think once before, or or maybe it was in contention that it wasn't fully convertible, um, and so at some point, I, I'm, I imagine that it will become fully convertible, and then I could also see that the actual weighting in the SDR basket going up. And so to me, uh, you know, and, and I don't, this is not really, I'm, it's not backed by research, but just, you know, intuitively, it, to me, it feels like if that were to happen, then wouldn't that naturally, uh, you know, cause a, somewhat of appreciation on the RMB? Because if it's a global, if it's added to this sort of global basket, then there, there must be buying uh, going on across the, the globe, no? One should understand that the total amounts of SDR being in circulation, I think, is just uh, over 500 billion. So the SDR is almost um, uh, it, the SDR is not is not used like we use other currencies. So mm. that's um, it's very important to understand that the SDR is. Um, it can be upgraded now to play a much more major role within the international monetary system. But then first, the IMF and countries like China should start to um, price bonds in SDRs and by selling uh, huge amounts of bonds uh, denominated in SDRs, the SDR will become a real currency. And uh, there's, there's one other uh, expert in this field who's been uh, writing quite a lot about this, that's Jim Rickards, uh, who right. might know him, the American author. And, yes, of and James Rickards always explains that in the next financial crisis, which could be around the corner, um, the balance sheets of central banks um, will not be used uh, for future QE operations, but um, governments will look to the IMF since the IMF has a clean balance sheet, the IMF could um, start a worldwide QE operation of their own by selling uh, huge amounts of uh, SDR bonds or uh, giving them to um, to all uh, central banks who are part of the IMF system. So if a new crisis would um, lead to the creation of trillions of new SDRs, that would really really be the start of uh, using the SDR as a um, real 
currency. And one could envision that DSDR could become um, a real uh, world reserve currency and uh, could even replace the dollar when needed because the next financial crisis could also lead to a dollar crisis. Right. So uh, let's let's uh, let's use that to sort of uh, to shift gears here. So you are obviously also running a commodity fund, which uh, has at least last year performed extremely well. Uh, so um, I want to talk a little bit about your your outlook on sort of commodities. I mean, I know commodities have somewhat been on a, um, a super cycle run here, and uh, you know for. For for people that investors that are, are are listening in and and trying to figure out what the best way to position th- themselves should another crisis uh, be around the corner, um, what what do you think about a good what what's a good asset allocation strategy uh, for an investor? Um, I I have a quite simple model uh, which I use actually for, uh, which I've been using for the last ten years. Um, and um, since the financial crisis started 10 years ago, um, it's quite obvious that central bankers have been printing and creating money like crazy. So if you um, want to be sure that you won't use, uh, lose any purchasing power on your savings, you have to position yourself into assets which can't be printed like um, um, fiat money can be or government bonds. Um, So I always advise people to have at least 25% of their uh, net worth in uh, physical gold and silver uh, because this this, um, portion will even survive the worst crisis. I also advise them to put 25% in real estate because real estate, um, you can put huge amounts of money in real estate and money put in real estate is money which you took out of the financial system, which is not circulating among banks anymore. You put it into something tangible and you can have the rents um, mm-hmm. from real estate as a nice way to have cash flow. Mm-hmm. And then the third part um, I always advise people to put 25% in equities. I prefer to um, invest those into commodity-related companies because Mm -hmm. um, I I like it when companies have uh, a high intrinsic value. Uh, So one could invest into Google or into Apple, but what are the assets of of Apple besides a huge amount of cash? Um, The only assets of Apple that that, uh, is the engineers working there. You know, they don't own any factories. They don't own anything tangible. So uh, I prefer to invest in commodity-related companies, Mm. and especially um, because um, many metals are getting uh, scarcer year after year. If we study supply and demand for zinc, and nickel and platinum and palladium and silver. It's not it's not difficult to um, envision much higher prices in the future. And then the fourth part of my model is to keep twenty five percent in cash because once there's a crisis, it's always good to have cash because um, with the cash you can uh, go um, uh, you can go bargain uh, hunting. 
That's right. That's a very uh, straightforward model. And, um, you know, cash is obviously the best hedge. And what, what are your, just quickly, uh, what are your views on, on this whole crypto, you know, blockchain cryptocurrency uh, outrage right now? Yeah, it's an interesting topic because I just wanted to add that in the last few years, uh, I have been um, uh, adding 5%. Uh, one, one could add 5% of, 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 of the savings um, to, um, uh, into, the, into the cryptocurrencies. Mm. Because I think the cryptocurrencies have clearly shown um, their initial success. And I think the cryptocurrencies are here to stay. It will be a very volatile ride. Uh, don't be surprised, we'll have another shakeout of 80 or 90%. But I right. think the, the main cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, they are here to stay because there are so many uh, people who think that they are a solution to problems they've experienced in the past. Interesting. Uh, thanks for sharing those views. Now, uh so as we uh, look to the last uh, part of the of the uh, of the interview, and um, again we thank you for your time. So uh, I just want to touch quickly on um, on sort of the the outlook of, on China. Obviously, China is, has pretty bright prospects right now. Is there anything particular, any themes, thematics, particularly in China, that uh, excite you right now? Yeah, I think China is highly fascinating. Uh, not only is China and the Chinese uh, culture and China as a country um, and China as, as a system, they, they have been around for over 10,000 years. And um, China is, of course, the largest, um, is, is the country with the, with the largest amount of people, as over 1 billion, is becoming the largest economy um, so China is, is so important and China is, um, I think, in a development uh, phase in which they are about to take over uh, um, the position of the US and the American dollar as, as, as the main um, force within the international financial markets. Um, but of course, China has also experienced a bubble of its own. Um, uh, if we look at the real estate, if we look at the number of uh, debts, if we look at the bad debts, which are especially, which clearly can be found within um, uh, the several regions, and one should expect a, a more serious crisis within China's financial system. Um, in, in the next few decades. Uh, but there are many economists and, um, who have been warning about an impending Chinese crisis for the last 30 years. Right. Um, but because China is not a free market and it's a very um, uh, centrally controlled um, uh, country with a very strong controlled financial market, the Chinese have been able to avoid a major crisis until now. Um, and um, I'm, I'm very curious how this will play out in the future. Um, one should also understand that uh, the U.S. will um, will might prefer to see a crisis developing in uh, China <laughs> to weaken China from a geopolitical point of view. We also have seen the clashes, the first clashes, at least verbally, about the South China Sea. Yes. So yes. I. 
for me, one of the most important questions is how will the um, how will the cooperation or the clash between the U.S. and China uh, uh, work out in within the next uh, decade? Fascinating, and we're sitting right here on the front seats. So, um, thank you again, Willem, for uh, your insights. I think it was it's fascinating, and I think that everyone listening in should definitely go. Read uh, the book, The Big Reset. And I just want to uh, give you an opportunity to tell us what you're working on these days. What you know, anything exciting that you're working on, wh- whether it's personal or uh, for your fund. Yeah. Uh, well, I would like to share that I just published a new book, also translated into Mandarin. Um, it's called The Tesla Revolution, and it tells a story about the world of energy and the the, the revolution which we can see in the in the world of energy. This is a major topic which um, which I'm very uh, which I'm have been studying for the last uh, ten years, um, and I do expect um, uh, that our fund will do well uh, the next few years because we see a uh, recovery of commodity markets, and since we are specialized in new discoveries, there's a very interesting um, developing situation in Australia and. And maybe um, some of your uh, listeners um, might want to look into it. Um, there are two companies. One is a Canadian-listed company. It's called Novo Resources, NVO. And the other is Artemis Resources. It's an Australian-listed company. And they both are working uh, within a JV on a new discovery in the northwestern Australian um, Karata district where a new kind of mineralization has been found in one of the uh, eldest rocks um, which are known on the planet Earth. And this is a very mm. early situation, and we've seen a very rapid rise of the share price of both companies. But this is clearly um, something which is very uh, big on our radar, and uh, we're heavily involved into this play. Fascinating. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that, and uh, we'll definitely t- check out the Tesla resolution uh, revolution. Sorry, as well, uh, Willem. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it and the insights that you gave. It sounds like we are going to be in for a lot of action here in the next few years. Where is the best place that uh, the audience can find you, follow you, connect with you, and maybe learn a little bit more about your work? Yeah, the best place to follow me is on Twitter. Um... If you uh, look, um, if you do a search for my name, but my Twitter address is W uh, Middlecoop M I D D E L K O P. Um, we have a website, uh, the Commodity Discovery Fund. Uh, our fund has a website, um, uh, cdfund.com. Uh, it's easy to find as well. And um, on uh, Amazon, you can find my books. Fantastic. Thank you so much again, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to to talking to you again in the future. Okay, let's do that. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All of the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at J. Kimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.